reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize. Now, if Nate was the preacher at Church Northwest and he was up here, he would be getting all very, very excited about this because running races is his thing. And he'd be like, okay, we're going to talk about running now and we're going to talk about like how you've got to have the right shoes and proper stride techniques and, and training and conditioning and all of that sort of stuff. I'm not Nate. Running is, how should I say this, barf. It is not fun. If I'm not holding a ball or being chased by someone with a knife, I just don't see the point in running, right? Yeah, see, we've got, we've got yeah. All right. If I have to be in a race, I'm looking for something with a little bit more horsepower. you got to crank the volume on this one. I know, right? Now that's a way to race. That's a race I'm willing to train for, right? There could have been a hundred different clips from that movie. Uh, most of them had some choice language. So I, I went with that one. It has absolutely no bearing in the content, just that really nice cars, really nice V8 cars. The movie, thank you for asking, is Ford versus Ferrari. Has anyone seen that? Great movie, great movie. What I really like about it is it really captures the strain and the effort and all of that goes into building a race car and then running the Le Mans 24-hour race. And it's a story of Ford trying to break into and dominate the race. Incredible movie. Really just gets in behind uh, to what's involved. And I really like that because it's a great picture of what both Paul and Peter are trying to tell us about the Christian faith. The Christian faith is not idle or passive or just a stagnant thing. It is not just this nice philosophy that we can discuss over dinner at a dinner party. The Christian faith is active. It is an active connection to the God who created the universe, a God who has things for us to do, a God who has a mission for us, who has places for us to go. He has a race for us to run. And he wants us to run that race or drive that race with everything that we've got. He wants us to put every bit of effort into getting to the finish line. And that's the backdrop that I want to kind of set for this book that Peter wrote, this letter that Peter wrote to Christians around the Mediterranean. In the first century, around 65 AD, he's written this letter to encourage us how we can run that race most effectively, how we can achieve that prize. Now, Peter, as you may or may not know, is one of the most famous of Jesus' 12 followers. Okay? So he's one of the disciples. He's the guy who walked on water because Jesus was walking on water. He was the one who first identified Jesus as the Son of God and kind of had that epiphany moment. 
He's also the guy who denied Jesus three times as Jesus was going through trial. So he's, you know, he's a bit of a mixed bag. But you can kind of see the passion and this energy that Peter brings to his life and to his faith. And that's the energy that he's trying to inject into his, his readers who are scattered across the Roman Empire and who are going through a whole host of different situations. So as we're going to go through this book, what we're going to do is we're going to read it chunk by chunk, okay? We're going to go through the whole book systematically. It's not so much topical as we're just going to go and dig in and see what the Bible says. So my recommendation to you is that sometime soon, maybe this week, is you sit down and read the book of 2 Peter from beginning to end. It's only three chapters long. It's not that long. It won't take that long. But it gives you a sense of the whole entire picture that Peter's trying to give us. Yeah? All right, so we're all sufficiently riled up, ready to go? Yay, okay. All right, let's dive in. Second Peter. I'm going to read from a real Bible. If you want to bring your real Bibles to church, you're welcome to do so. It might be good so that you can kind of go back and forth as we kind of see what's happening. So I'm going to pass First Peter. That's one we always read. And Second Peter, here we go. Simon Peter, the author, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who, through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. So this is kind of going back to what Nate was saying with communion, this idea Jesus has given us faith. He has given us hope and a connection to him. He says, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. All right, so this is kind of, this is a pretty standard sort of open for a letter. It's a, a common sort of theme in ancient letters to say who you are and who you're writing to and then some sort of nice sort of statement from the gods, in our case, God, to the people. But in this, even in the first couple of verses, even in the introduction, Peter is already ready to introduce one of the major themes of the entire book. Okay? The major theme here is knowledge. This is going to pop up throughout the whole book. Knowledge. Specifically, the knowledge of Jesus. Now, it's critical for us to understand that knowledge, that there are two ways to understand knowledge of Jesus, okay? This is the knowledge, he says, that gives us peace. This is the knowledge that uh, through this knowledge, we have everything that we need to live a godly life, all right? So what is this knowledge? The knowledge, there are two ways to understand it, and they work hand in hand together. Let me show you another clip from the movie to help illustrate Fresh off the plane from England. Now, she's still a little on the rare side of cooked.
Well, it's awful. It's worse than awful. Yeah, it doesn't track. You know, the third gear is too high. The torque is not reaching the road. Steering's loose because the front end gets light. And over 140 thinks it's a... Airplane. Uh, yeah. And wants to lift off and fly to Hawaii. Anything else? So this guy comes, he test drives this car, and immediately starts spouting off all of this stuff, doesn't he? I mean, he knows the car. So we can see the two aspects of knowledge here coming into play. The first is head knowledge, right? Knowing is, well, knowing. So Lynn Miles, the guy who drives the car, he knows cars. Like, he starts spouting off things about gears and ratios and, and torque and all of this sort of stuff, and I'm like, I think I recognize some of those words. Why? No clue what he's talking about, but he does, right? He has a complete head knowledge of that car, right? Very, very impressive. But the second aspect of knowledge is more relational. He knows the car. Why? Because he drove the car. He has a knowledge of that car because he's interacted with that car. He's experienced that car, all right? Now, how does this play into, into Second Peter? There are two ways that we can know Jesus. There are two ways that we can have knowledge of Jesus that he's talking about. The first is head knowledge. We know about Jesus, and this is important. And he says the knowledge of Jesus, knowing about Jesus brings us peace, doesn't it? Because when we know that Jesus has died for us, he has paved a way for us, that brings us peace. We can rest in that knowledge. When we know that he has sent the Holy Spirit to us, when we know he has given us power, that gives us the tools that we need to go and live a holy life, yes? So knowledge, knowing about is really important, but that's not the only way we know. There is a relational knowledge that happens as well. We relate to Jesus through knowing him and connecting with him. He brings us that peace, that goes beyond all understanding. You know, and he, he gives us the power to live a holy life because he is in us, he is with us. We talked about that last week with the Holy Spirit. So there is both this idea of head knowledge and heart knowledge, experiential relational knowledge. There's one theologian who puts it this way. He says, a focus on truth about God, apart from a relationship with God, will leave the Christian powerless to defeat sin. Similarly, an emphasis on the relationship without a deep concern for doctrinal truth, for knowing about, will lead to sins which are the result of wrong thinking. And I think we can see this playing out in different ways. When we have all of this head knowledge and no heart knowledge, we can spout verses, we can you know, tell everybody how to pass the Greek verb of this passage in this abstract verse in the Bible, but we're still sinning because we have no sense of connecting to the power of God. And then there's other people who are all about, hey, 
I, I have this connection with God and God and I are one and we're, we're loving. I don't need to read the Bible because I have this connection with him. And they end up going down these paths of all of these weird sort of beliefs or beliefs that are actually tripping them up and causing problems. So the two knowings work together. So when we truly know Jesus, we know him in our head, when we know him in our heart, we are able to access the full power of what God has given us. And we're able to live that godly life. We're able to have that peace that he promised us in verse 2. All right, Peter's going to explain things further. Verse 4, he says, Through these, which is referring back to God's glory and his goodness, through his glory and goodness, he has given us this very great and precious promises, so that through those promises, you may participate in the divine nature, which is kind of a way of saying we're becoming more like him. Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection or brotherly love, and to mutual affection, love. Self-sacrificing, agape love. All right? So, when Peter says, make every effort to add, make every effort to add to your faith all of these things, he's kind of touching on a very interesting question. And that question is, who is the one that grows me? Who is the one that changes my heart? Who is the one that makes me into a stronger Christian. Now, I mean, we've been all over the, the Bible hearing things that, like, the Spirit is the one who changes us. We talked about that last week. He is the one who stirs hearts. He is the one who convicts. He is the one who changes people, right? And yet we also see verses like this where he says, you make every effort to change your heart. So which is it? Is it God growing us or is it us growing us? Yes. Yes is the answer to that question. There is a beautiful partnership between the power of God and our own efforts. And we see this playing out throughout the Bible. We're fully aware we don't have the power to change our own hearts. We don't have the ability to make ourselves better people. God does that. Yet we can also see these continuous instructions and this, to, to work on this, to put effort in. And in a very real sense, when we stop putting effort in, things stop changing, right? If we take this car and driver analogy a little bit further, probably one step too far, but we're going to try it anyway. So you can see when he's driving the car, you ask the question, who is making the car go fast? You can see this partnership in play. The car is 100% doing all of the work, right? It's the engine. That's the one. If you saw him trying to push the car around the track, there would be a significant difference, you know? 
the car has all of the power. And yet, if the driver does nothing, the car goes nowhere. The car has the power, but the driver puts the effort in to access the power of that car. Does that make sense? Now, very, very clearly, God is not a car, okay? God is not a machine, a thing we've created, someone we can manipulate or control, okay? I need to make that very, very clear. This is a partnership between us people and God, the person of God. Nor is it true that just because it's a partnership, it's an equal partnership. I need to make that very, very, very clear as well before he strikes me down. Because he has all of the authority, all of the power. He does not need us like we need him. And yet, despite all of that, he has decided that it is in his in his wisdom, that we are going to do this with him. He is going to work together with us. He provides the power. We put in the effort, and it works together. We need both. That, ener- that synergy works together to create growth in our lives and helps us run that race effectively. So, In his power, we continue to put the effort into our faith and grow these virtues in our lives. And he says, verse 8, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, quickly, did you notice here he says, ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of Jesus Christ? Well, head knowledge is neither productive nor effective right, by itself, it's not a static thing. There is action, there is effectiveness, there is purpose to your knowledge, to that relationship, to that connection with God, right? Now, the list that um, Peter gives us here, all those virtues, these aren't meant to be like a stair-step type thing, like first you add this one, and then once you've got that sorted, then you add this one, and once that's all good, then you add this one, right? Oftentimes, we're adding these things in different times, in different ways. But there's this idea, this language that Peter's using that creates the idea of progression, right? Which he says, an increasing measure. So it's not about having or not having these virtues. It's about growing in them. It's growing in our faith. It's almost like taking your next step towards Jesus. Where have I heard that before? Oh, yeah, that's our mission statement. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to move forward in our faith. So it's not about whether you're perfect or not. It's not about how far you've gone. It's about whether you're taking the next step towards Him, whether you're growing these things in increasing measure. Does that make sense? So as we push forward in that partnership, it helps us to become productive, effective, doing good things for God. And then Peter says in verse 9, But whoever does not have these things is nearsighted and blind, forgetting what they have, that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Okay, so Peter's starting to get a little mean now. You can kind of see that passion coming through again, can't you? He, just, he really just says what he's feeling. You know, he's, he's not a guy to hold his punches or, or use a huge amount of tact. But he just wants to say it how it is, right? And he says, if you don't have them, 
then you're, you're blind, you're nearsighted, you, you've forgotten. And if you think this is harsh, just wait till chapter 2. He's really going to let rip. That's going to be a fun chapter to read. So it may, may sound harsh, but Peter is making a really good point. And it comes right back to this theme of knowledge, this theme of how we know Jesus in our hearts and in, head, and in our hearts. The more we know Jesus, the more he is front and center in our lives, the more we will see growth in our faith. There's a definite connection. And when we let Jesus slip to the back, when we let Jesus slide and go out of our peripheral vision, our faith starts to slow down and stagnate. Is that not true? We've all experienced this, right? I know I've experienced this. I'm not alone, right? No? Okay, so some sort of very deft, shy nods going on. I think we get this. But here's the thing, and this is key. The response to this is not condemnation. Not from Peter, not from God, not from ourselves. Jesus has taken care of that. Remember, right at the beginning, because of his righteousness, we have a faith that is as precious as the apostles' faith. We are saved. We are cleansed. In fact, he says here, we've forgotten that we have been cleansed from our past sins. That means we have. There's no condemnation now. Instead, I believe the response that Peter is looking for, that God is looking for, is an honest self-evaluation. Where am I? Is God front and center? Am I tuned into him? If I'm seeing a lack of some of these virtues in my life, if I'm not self-controlled, if I don't have that mutual affection, if I am not acting those ways, maybe I need to just take a little bit of a look under the hood and see what's going on in my own life. Not for the sake of condemnation, but for the sake of fixing and getting back on track. Does that make sense? So don't stress what you're not doing. Don't stress the struggles. Don't stress the failures. Pay attention to them, but don't stress them. Instead, let's hold on to that promise of Jesus that we have been saved. We have been saved. And let's turn to the positive and turn back towards him. Or as he says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, to live out your salvation. For if you do these things, this positive language, if you do them, you'll never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Do these things and you will see the fruit of it. Not about the condemnation for not doing them. It's about pointing us forward. So as Peter gets started with us, he wants to set the goal right in front of us. He wants to see, set the checker flag for us and to motivate us to continue pushing forward. But pushing forward in the knowledge of Jesus. Knowing about him through reading his scripture, through coming together in gatherings, through going to small groups, through study, all of that, and through knowing him through relationship, through prayer, through taking that time to connect with him. We do these things, and we will run this race effectively. Let me pray. 
Lord, I just thank you that you have given us everything that we need to run the race you've given us effectively, fully, and to get that prize. You've given it to us. We have access to it. Lord, we struggle. We, we, we fall to the side. And I think that is often because we let other things sit in front of us. And our focus is not on the track. But we get distracted by the crowd or the pit crew or, or the lady selling popcorn. Whatever it is, Lord, we just get distracted by other things in our life. During this series, Lord, help us to refocus ourselves and to drive ourselves forward in your power, with your love, to reach the end. It's in your name we pray. Amen. <laughs>